0: Praise Origins for being great at many things, Um, like it shouldn't be ours. Like no matter how good we are, no matter how right our thinking is, no matter how many services we've attended, no matter how many Bible studies we do in a given week, no matter how much of our bank account we've emptied, no matter all of those things, like this piece, like this togetherness, this knit togetherness, this puzzle that has been orchestrated and put together in the name of Jesus for the glory of God and the lives of his people, it shouldn't be mine. And it shouldn't be yours. But Jesus... This is what he brings. This is what he rules over. This is who he is. This morning, I wanted to look at some strange places, at least for the normal Advent season. And I'm not trying to put a new spin on things, because I think that's the worst thing that a teacher or pastor can do at Christmas. Like, the stories of Jesus coming, they need to be read, and we're going to read those. But I I want you to turn to Romans chapter 5 with me. Because I I think, like, we would be doing a a great disservice if we didn't really examine, like, What was and what is for those who know Jesus. What was and what is. I say it a lot, but I will say you guys are terrible at clapping. Um, I'm not asking you to clap again. That's that's not that's not what I'm asking for, but I'm just telling you that was pitiful. Um, Really, really pitiful. Yeah, sorry. I hate to be the bearer of bad news and be that guy, but you know sometimes when you're bad at something, you just need to know, right? You know, if you cook consistently for your bride and your wife and you think you're doing a great job, but it's terrible and she, you know, just kind of fights to get it down every time, then, you know, she needs to tell you that kind of stuff. And like, if you're bad at clapping, you should hear it and you're bad at clapping. <sighs> so anyway, now that I've been mean, we can be nice. Um, again, my is Matthew. If I haven't gotten to meet you, I'm super glad to see you guys today. Uh, we had, now I will apologize for this, uh, this thing on my face. Uh, we had our 80s uh, skate party last night. And uh, it, we called it Skaties. You know, we, we like to combine words because we're wizards with words. And uh, originally, I intended to be Magnum PI, but uh, I got tired of my beard a couple weeks ago and had to shave it off and shave it off and regrow an attempt at a mustache. And so I was just a badly dressed, creepy '80s guy. Um, and uh, so it's it's just going to stick around for another day, just to to make people hide their kids from me. Um, but yeah, we're here. And if you did get to come out last night, I uh, hope that you're sore like some of us. But nobody like I think somebody said last night was a smashing success because a people showed up, but b nobody got hurt. And I don't know the last time that you roller skated like as an adult, but like the uh, yeah the risk versus reward has changed a lot. You know, kids they hit the ground and they bounce. Adults, we don't bounce anymore. I don't know what it is, but we just don't. We just kind of hit and stick and things break. Um, and I don't think we had any bones break last night, so that was a win. And every skating rink, too, one thing we determined, like every skating rink has a unique smell. Um, we're not going to call it an odor. Um, we're just going to call it a unique smell, like everybody's house. But this didn't smell like anyone's house. Um, it was, but it was good. I hope you got to make it last night. If you didn't, uh, look for it again. In about a year, we may do something similar. Uh, But yeah, we are super glad you guys are here. Today is our our second week of Advent as as a church, and so I'll go ahead and say if if you have not grown up in a structure, system, church, uh, semi-Orthodox type deal where you've celebrated Advent, that's okay. Uh, The women, um, several women, I think there's about 40 in Origins right now doing an Advent study And, like, my wife has pointed out to them, and it bears repeating, like, Advent Bible studies on a church level, it's a relatively new thing in the scope of, like, the church. Like, it's the past 20, 30 years in which Advent's been paid attention to, at least by the Protestant church in which there are Bible studies and booklets and things like that. Um, But one of the things my family does is we bought this pop-up book several years ago. I think we're probably in year four of this, and uh, every year we start on December the 1st. And you open it up, there's a giant Christmas tree, and you open the doors, and you pull out ornaments and hang on it, and there's a corresponding book that goes with it, and you read a story a day. And so it starts in Genesis and works all the way through Scripture. And so each, each night this week, we've either been reading one or two. There's been a few nights where we've had to double up because we missed the night before. It's okay. Um, and so each week, like, we're hearing about the overall redemptive story of Jesus. And so one thing that we want to point out about Advent is, yes, it is looking forward to the birth of Christ, but this is God's story like from front flap to back map in the Bible. You know, that's good Bible humor. Like, you know, the whole story, like what he made, what he created, how he looked at it, how he wrecked it, and how he had a plan to fix it. And that plan is Jesus. And so this month, as we celebrate Advent, it literally is us looking forward to celebrate the fact that God came with skin on, dwelt among us, walked among us, lived among us, did it perfectly, and died tragically, rose victoriously. And because of that, it's good. It's the best. And so, that's Advent in a nutshell. Today, we are thinking about peace and, and what that looks like. And I know the passage that we read did not even use that word, but I want to talk about why that passage, uh, by example, was read today. Um, in this particular text, in Luke, you don't have to turn back there. I'm just going to look at the last two verses, and then we're going to kind of think about a couple other things um, I love the story of Jesus' birth. Like, I love the shepherds in the field. I love the angels singing. I love all of that. Like, I love the, the colors that I imagined that were going on during all of this. If I'd go to Imagination Station, close my eyes and think about it. I love the sound that an angelic chorus had to make. And, and generally, I don't even like choruses, but that chorus probably would have been really, really good. Um, but here's my, my favorite two lines, most likely, in the whole Christmas account that we read most of the time. Right after Mary had been approached by an angel and who told her everything that we had just heard, you know, some crazy stuff, like, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. Like, those aren't normal things, okay? Number one, going to give birth at all. We talked about that last week, like, for a young lady who's not married yet, who has not, in a biblical sense, known a man to be giving birth, she says, how can this happen since, you know... I'm a virgin. Like, number one, that's miraculous. But number two, who she was giving birth to. Like, these aren't normal things. Like, it's only happened once. It will only happen once. It will never happen again. And it was completely sufficient only to happen that one time if we just believe. So those aren't normal things. So this is everything that she had just heard. Um, she had just heard that uh, she was going to give birth to not just a baby, but a baby that, whose rule would have no end, who would sit on the throne of David, uh, who would be known as the Lord is salvation. That's what Yeshua or Jesus actually means. And so she was being told a lot of very, very heavy things. And we don't hear her speak until the very end. Like we don't hear her say a word until the very end. So she may have just been sitting there just dumbfounded, you know, jaw on the floor and just kind of sitting there like, what is going on? I'm going to throw up. I don't know. But she had heard some crazy things, and and among all of that, she had heard one really amazing thing amongst all the other amazing things, and it's just, you have found favor with God. So all of this because you have found favor with God. And so very often, and I think the question kind of came up in our home this week, like, you know, why does God choose the people that he chooses to do the things that they've done? Like, you know, those he inspires to write scripture, those he inspires to do this, that, and like Mary, for instance. Why Mary? And it's just in that one phrase, you have found favor with God. But I think it translates into the first time that she speaks. She just speaks with such simplicity, clarity, and amazing wisdom that echoes that exact description of her. But before she says that, the angel closes out everything that he had said in verse 37. And I think that's up there. And he just says this. He says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing. And think about everything that just came before that statement. Like everything that had just preceded that. Like he had just talked about some impossible things. Like someone that should not have a baby is having a baby. Someone that should not have a baby is having the Son of God baby. That Son of God baby, God with skin on was going to dwell among us and and save the world. Like all of these insane things. And not only that, but you, Mary, you young, sweet lady, uh, you are separate from the rest of the world in such a way that you found favor with God, such favor that you're going to give birth to the Son of God, Jesus, Yeshua, And then so the angel says, for nothing. Oh, and by the way, Mary, I mean, Elizabeth, your cousin, she's ancient. Uh, She's about to have a baby too, and she was barren. She couldn't have kids. Yeah, that's happening too. But all of these things, and then he says, understand, for nothing will be impossible with God. All of the impossible things that she had just heard. And the angel reminds her, nothing. Nothing's off the table. Everything. It's, It's all there. It's all possible. Nothing is impossible. And here's Mary's beautiful response. Verse 38. And Mary said behold or look I'm the servant of the Lord let it be to me according to your word That's it That's it Didn't ask why me didn't ask what ne- what's next didn't ask how didn't ask any of those things she just made a statement just look I am the servant of him who you speak and just let it be just like you've said Unbelievable Nothing will be impossible and Mary just says, okay, okay. For us today, as we think about peace, here's what I want to pose. Peace should not be possible. The type of peace that Jesus offers, it shouldn't be possible for you. It shouldn't be possible for me. We should not have it. And, that, and that's the beauty of Jesus. Because most of the time when we think about peace, we, we think about, you know, the, the standard definition of, of peace is the absence of uh, disturbance or tranquility. But like peace in Scripture, we basically have two words in Scripture. We've got the the Hebrew idea of shalom, uh, of peace. And then we have this other word in Greek. Most of the time, it's it's irene. And both of those, they don't mean peace like we standard know peace. Kind of like we talked about hope last week. We talked about hope most of the time. We're like, oh, I hope, I hope, you know. I hope Georgia makes the playoffs. They did. I hope Georgia goes to the national championship. They didn't. Um, Boo on them. But anyway, that's the kind of hope that most of the time we say. But we talked about hope last week according to scriptural promise is with hope there's never doubt attached, but there's always faith attached. And so when we look to scripture to define these ideas, we have to understand that most of the time they're going to be different than the way that we understand them. Peace in modern American terms is like, I want peace to be just lack of trouble. I want no trouble. I want it to be the absence of trouble. I want it to be still waters. You know, that's peace. But in biblical terms, like this idea of shalom, a lot of times it's used as a greeting. But what this idea of shalom and then even the Greek idea of, of irene, they both mean this they mean um, wholeness or put togetherness, completeness. This is peace. So often when we hear that, that Hebrew greeting or that Hebrew goodbye kind of a thing of shalom, uh, it doesn't just mean like peace. I hope you have a day absent of, you know, disturbance or a day that is tranquil. No, it means I hope that you are fully, completely knit together. In Hebrew and Greek, same idea. Same idea. And if we go back to the passage that we read last week of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, this was uh, the prophecy that was 700-some-odd years ago, 700-some-odd uh, years before Christ was even born through the prophet Isaiah. It says, for, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of completeness, knit-togetherness. All pieces where they should be. He would be called the prince of that. Not the prince of tranquility, not the prince of the absence of disturbance, but the prince of completeness. The prince of God takes all the puzzle pieces and he puts them together perfectly because no one else can. And then if we go over to Luke, which uh, Zach is going to talk about this next week, but in Luke chapter 2. Uh, Verse 13, I'll give you time to turn. I learned that last week that was a good idea. If you're turning people, that's great. But if you're going to read it on screen, you can read it there too. Luke chapter 2, verse 13, and it said, And suddenly there there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace or completeness or knit togetherness among those with whom he is pleased. This is the Jesus that was waited for. This is the Christ that was promised. This is the deliverer that was alluded to from Genesis all the way forward, that this prince, this ruler over wholeness, fullness, completeness, he's coming. And this is who you're waiting for. But I do, I want to repeat again, we shouldn't have it for those who know Jesus. And I'll go ahead and tell you, like, if you're here and, and you don't know Christ, if you've tried to live a, an exemplary religious life with the do's and the don'ts and the systems and the, all of those things, and you're struggling to grasp for Jesus or grasp to be right with God, I want to tell you today, like, uh, this can be true of you too. Like it's not about the do's and the don'ts. It's not about the systems. It's not about the religion. It's not about the orthodoxy. It is about like Jesus and what he did and only he could do that we can't. And so if you're sitting here and you're just wondering like today, just please just hear, hear what can be for you in spite of what is hear what can be. But for those who do know Jesus, you are sure of your relationship with him, this eternal change that's occurred in you by grace through faith. I think it's important for us to hear what was so that we truly appreciate what is. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into Romans chapter 5, verse 6. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much for Jesus. God, we thank you that uh, during this time of year, it's just an easy time, an easy on-ramp to celebrate the fact that you sent your son as a baby born in just ridiculous circumstances, who should have had kings bowing at his feet, who should have had all of the wealth of the world promised to him, but instead he chose to be born in a lonely cave or manger or barn, birthed on hay, wrapped in borrowed cloth, and to be sung to and praised by shepherds. God, what a crazy, unlikely occurrence And what a crazy way for you to save all of those who would believe. God, I thank you that we get to celebrate that. God, I thank you that we get to celebrate that through him, our life and our eternity can be different. And Father, I thank you that through him, we can have your version of peace and not ours. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. So we're going to have two sections of scripture. And what I want to ask you to do is to be able to parse things out into two categories as we read, and I'm going, to help, I'm going to do my best to help you, but we're going to put them in two columns. If you know Christ, if you are united to Christ by grace through faith, you have abandoned your sin, chosen him instead, doesn't mean that you're perfect, but he is perfecting you, sanctifying you, uh, there's going to be one column, we'll put it on this side for you because I'll be kind, uh, we'll put it in English instead of Hebrew idea, this side, and it's going to be the way things were, the way things were. The other column for those who know Christ is going to be this one, and it's the way things are. Okay? The way things were, the way things are. If you don't know Christ yet, super glad you're here. Incredibly glad you're here. Your columns are going to be flip-flopped. And and I'm not being judgmental. I'm being scriptural. But I'm super glad you're here because there's grace for all who believe. In this column, this is the way things are for you. This is the way things could be. So chapter 5, verse 6. I'm going to read all the way through... uh, through verse 11, and then we're going we're gonna to toss out some things in this column, column on your left side. "'For while we were weak, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God.'" For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And so we talked about peace being this idea of completeness, fullness, knit together, made whole. And so this column here is going to be what, you know, what it looks like before that occurs. Like we're talking about like what things were before. And so here are some things that stick out just in this text, and we'll flip over to Ephesians in just a moment. The way things were, a couple of things. Number one, it says Christ died for the ungodly. One of our first descriptions of the way things were is we were ungodly. What that means is we, we did not live in a manner or a lifestyle that matched the way God desired for us. We were consistently missing the mark. We were unable to live in God's designs, in His plans. Romans says, for there are none of us that are righteous, not a single one, and that's where we were. We were ungodly. We did not have God. We were not with God. We, we weren't His. It continues on. It says, uh, continue on in verse 8, it says, "...but God shows His love for us while we were still sinners." Our name was not saint at the time. Our, our name, what we were called is sinners, because that's what directed our life. That's what ruled our life. We were unable to choose good. We were set apart from God by our own sin, which we were incapable of not doing. And we were therefore called sinners." We continue, there, continue on in verse 9. It says, Since therefore we've now been justified by His blood, much more will we be saved from Him from the wrath of God. This is where sinners are destined. We're destined for wrath. Like I know we don't like to talk about a loving God displaying wrath, but if we want to talk about wrath, like He poured every bit of it out on Christ, and that was meant for you and me. That was meant for us, those of us who had not just missed the mark, but those of us who were not linked to God through His Son that wants to come, like those sinners, those people called by sinners, unable, of being, unable to be saints at that time, like we were destined for the wrath of God. We were destined for separation, and that's, that's what was coming for us. Verse 10, it says, for if why we were enemies, and not only were we destined for wrath, not only were we ungodly, not only sinners, but sinners, not sinners, uh, that's people that go see movies a lot, not only were we sinners, uh, but we were actually enemies to God. We were in opposition to God, whether we knew it or not, that is where we were. We were enemies. Like that's our previous life if we now know God. And if we think about what peace is, like if we, if we want to put the completeness, the wholeness, the completeness idea, or the fullness idea of what peace looks like, it's not this. Like we weren't complete. There was something missing, and it was, it was God. There was something missing. It was family. There was something missing. It was unity. There was something missing, our identity. There were all of these things missing we had not yet been knit together by grace through faith. We had not yet been made complete. We had not yet been made full. Our puzzle pieces were still all over the table, scattered. Some of them not even yet discovered. We'll flip over to Ephesians. Mark your page. We'll come back here in in just a moment. Ephesians 2, verse 11. Still hearing pages. We're going to give you time. Ephesians 2, chapter 11. I'm going to read just the first two verses here. It says, Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God. In the world. So, in this particular section in the book of Ephesians, um, Paul is speaking to the people of Ephesus and reminding them that there are basically two people groups. There are those who are from Israel and there are those who aren't. There are Jews and then there are Gentiles. But basically it's, it's dividing those who do know God or have heard of God from a long time ago or those that are just hearing of God now. And there's, there's strife between them. There's, there's anger. There's, there's a lot of problems going on. And that's one of the reasons Paul was actually sent out to go to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, so that they may hear of Christ too. But also there's this other thing that's going on because in these two groups of people, both of them are separated from God. Whether they know each other from an ethnic uh, way or not, they're both separated from God. And so Paul's taking this opportunity and he's saying, hey, remember, remember where you came from. Remember that at one time you were, verse 12, separated from Christ. Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. You were separated from Christ. By what our sin, like you were separated. This column right here, we were cut off. And it's not that we were born with unity and we did something that cut us off. No, we were born separated. We were born cut off as a result of the fall. Like, there was no way. We were not complete because we were separate from God. Not only separated from Christ, but alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were cut off not just from God, but now he's speaking of people, and you were cut off from the family that you could be in. You weren't there with them either. You were separated for the same reason. It's still sin, separated from God, separated from family. You were separated or alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. And not only that, but you had no understanding of what God has promised you from the very beginning. You were strangers. You hadn't encountered it yet. You didn't know it. This is the before column, or it may be your current column. But either way, this is the no peace column. Like, it's not here. Again, it's not the absence of, uh, absence of trouble, the absence of turmoil, or even just tranquility, but it's like the completeness, the fullness, the knit-togetherness. Your puzzle's been put together kind of an idea. Like, it's not here. It's not here. And then it says, having no hope and without God in the world. Having no hope and without God in the world. Like, that's where we were, like, before Christ. Like, that's, that's where we were. And I think for a lot of us, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Like, I know my upbringing. I don't know yours. I know that I grew up uh, in a family that made sure that we were in church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesdays most of the time, and we were 15 minutes late every week, but we were there. So we missed the welcome, and we missed the first song, all three stanzas, um, and then we would walk down through the third row. But we were there, have no doubt. And I have no doubt at six years old, like I I have zero doubt. I remember it vividly. Um, I didn't understand everything, but I have no doubt that at six years old, like I did, I gave my life over to God through Jesus. In the hall of our house on our matted shag gold carpet, it was hideous and ugly, and my parents kept it for way too long, and we had that textured wallpaper in the hall, and we had yet to start wrestling, so there weren't any holes in the sheetrock yet. Like I remember sitting there, that's where my parents did it, of all places in our house, the narrow little hall that would soon become the battleground of teenage boys. But I remember in that place, after pursuing my parents for weeks, saying, look, there's something wrong, there's something I want, I don't know what it is. And my parents were either unwilling to talk about it or they were incredibly patient one way or the other. But finally, I just couldn't do it anymore. And I was just like, look, I need need this fixed. What is it? In the best words of a six-year-old, and probably with a much higher-pitched voice. And I remember they just walked me through what it looked like to confess my sin, to place my trust in Jesus, and to give my life over to Him. I don't remember the words, but I remember the effect. And I remember from, you know, for a long time, like there were ebbs and flows, peaks and valleys, just like the people of Israel, and it's not excusing my behavior, but it it took me about sixteen years to actually come to terms with that decision, to actually get serious about what it meant to follow Jesus and not follow rules. But but I remember that time. And I don't know if your story's similar. Like I don't know if, if you came to an understanding of who Jesus is from a salvific standpoint at a young age. I don't know if it was a teenager, I don't know what it was, but I think the longer that we follow Jesus, the tendency is to forget where we came from. To forget what we gave up, to forget what Jesus fixed, to forget what Jesus put together that was not together. To forget that like our hope was non-existent, not just in shambles or not just misinformed or not just there, but it wasn't there at all. Like I think the longer we follow Jesus, maybe we, we hold on to the promises that he's given us now, but we forget the promise that, that we took advantage of and that we, we entered into and we called out to in faith when we were there, when it was then. And in that moment, we do need to look back, even as a six-year-old, remember, like, the the peace that I desired was for this this roaring in my heart that something was missing, something was broken. I wanted it to go away. Do you remember? Do you remember the circumstance? Do you remember the the vivid ideas, the, 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 the notions that led you to a place that God used to bring you to a place that just says, God, something's not right, but I need you to fix it? What was it? Maybe for you, like salvation was a process and it and it took years, and that's okay. But there was a moment at which uh, you had to leave that world who you were behind and accept who God wanted you to be. And it wasn't accept a destiny, but it was accept Christ and his life, his words, his death, and his resurrection, so that the things that weren't put together could be. So that the absence of peace could be the presence of peace. The longer we follow, we often forget that before Jesus, this peace that was promised, we didn't have it. This column was our life. This column of strangers and aliens, um, targets for wrath, alienated from others as well, and cut off like "This, this is who we were. People without hope, people without promise, like biblical hope. Sinners, not saints, not people of peace. That's where we were. Sometimes in order to celebrate Jesus well, we need to remember what he's done. If we'll flip back to that Romans passage, let's reread it again. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, page 942. I didn't hear a single laugh. At the, I heard one. I think one. Come on. It's like a Bible dad joke. It's really good. Yeah. Do you know where you keep all your dad jokes, David Bonner? Where do you keep them? Database. In a database. Thank you, David. <laughs> on that note, chapter 5, verse 6. Let's reread it again. Let's fill in this column. For those who know Christ, let's fill in this column. If you don't, it's what could be your column. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. And just to point out, Paul starts this passage off in chapter 5, verse 1. It may be up there, and if it's not, it's okay. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in this passage, if we read it, trying to fill in this other column now, not where we were, but where we are now as a result of Jesus. Understand, it starts off uh, from this very place in verse 8, but God shows his love for us. Like, I think the first thing that we need to understand about completeness and fullness and what peace looks like is we have to accept and we have to understand that we are actually loved by God. We're not despised by God. We're not objects of his wrath. We're not destined for destruction We're destined for his love. Like, he loves us. Like, it's amazing to think, like, uh, I was talking to somebody the other day, and and they were talking about a group of people um, and just kind of doing some demographic idea that when, when surveyed, like, people haven't heard this idea that God loves you. How have we left that off? Like, how is the church in this country, in this time, in this place, how have we left off this one unifying idea that all of these things are possible because God loves us? Like, how have we missed that? Like if we've gotten so tied up in the do's and the don'ts and the things that we get to do and the things that are afforded to us and the future payout and future promise that we forget that it all started because God so loved you and me that he sent his only son that whosoever would believe would not perish but have everlasting life if we missed that. Like the first thing in this column needs to be like the understanding that God loves you. God loves me and he loves us so much that he couldn't leave us here. Like, we can't light candles, we can't sing songs, we can't do another Bible study and fill in all these blanks if we miss the fact that God loves us to the point of sacrificing himself just so that we can have a chance of our pieces being put together. Like, that's this column right here. Everything flows out of this idea that we're loved by God. If you haven't heard it yet this season, I apologize. You are loved by God. I am loved by God, and that's nuts. It should not happen. I know me. I don't know you great, but I know you well enough. You shouldn't be. I shouldn't be. The we shouldn't be. But God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, and here's the second one, Christ died for us. God loves us. Christ died for us. And even in the beginning of this passage right here, he's like, hey, maybe a good person, maybe a good person might think about dying, but uh, maybe not. But God himself did. He came as a child, born in lowly means, praised by shepherds, fled to Egypt, raised by a carpenter and a woman who found favor with God, grew up to a wisdom level that he should not have, spoke with truth because he owned it, lived a life with not a single sin but temptation beyond what we can understand, hung on a cross and bore the sins of all mankind because they couldn't fix themselves, and then kicked death in the teeth and walked out of the grave. That's God because he loved us. And he wants to take us from this column where there is no peace and put us in this one where he's the author of it, the prince of it, the ruler of it. Loves us, Christ died for us. Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, we have now been legally uh, absolved from all the things that we did wrong by the blood of Jesus. We're now in this column. Much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. We are no longer destined for wrath. We've been saved. We've been justified. The wrath is not not resting on us anymore. It rested on Christ. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled, again, reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Saved again. Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom now we have received reconciliation. Like this idea of reconciliation, I think it's the perfect definition of what peace actually looks like. Like not only have we been justified, like our sins have been paid for. You know, it's not just get-out-of-jail-free card or get-out-of-hell-free card. It's like, no, 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 someone died in your place. That's justification. But reconciliation is through that justification, we are now right with God. Not just in moderate standing, but in perfect standing. Perfect standing. Known by God, can know God, can make God known. That's the result of reconciliation. That's peace. There is no peace without that. There is no togetherness. There is no uh, being knit into wholeness, into fullness without reconciliation. Because what reconciliation does is it takes those of us who are strangers and aliens cut off from God and has made us one with who made us. We can't do that. We can't make that happen. We can't fabricate that. We can't engineer that. We can't make a magic potion, drink it, and boom, it happens. That's just Jesus. Jesus. It's just Jesus. Flip over to Ephesians. There's another side effect. A pretty awesome one. Starting in verse 13. Pages are done. But now, but now, in Christ. You who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing walls of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Thereby killing hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off. And peace to you, peace to those who were near. For through him... We both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I think sometimes we listen and and we don't hear Uh, Michael, would you go back to that very first verse, verse 13? This is what I want you guys to do. I'm not going to read it. I want you to read it. Just read it to yourself. Um, Michael, as you read, go to the next slide. Read, Read on a fifth grade level to go average speed. Read this. I just want you guys to read verse 13 through 22. Go for it. That's peace, right there. We were stratified and broken and separate and cut off, not just from God, but from each other. And through Christ, he fixed it. Strangers, aliens, cut off, sinners. But then we go to this thing, uh, you have been made into one man, one people, through Jesus. Uh, access to one God through one spirit, through Jesus. Jesus. Um, now we're called saints, now we're called family, now we're called all these things, and now we're called a temple of the living God. You, the we, the us are being knit together. And so not only is this piece about uh, bringing my puzzle pieces together and, and making them what peace should look like, but it's also taking us the people who hostility existed for, for the same reason that it existed between us and God, sin. Same thing. It not only broke relationship with God, but it broke relationship with the we, with the us. And in this case, it was Jew and Gentile, but it extended all the way to all mankind. And it says that God is reconciling in himself through Christ Jesus, not only us to God, but us to each other. And now the each other, the one another's. we are actually the dwelling place of the living God. We are now the temple, not a temple built with hands, not a circumcision of the past, not covenants, none of those things, not the law, but just the people of God dwelling together in the righteousness of Jesus now, here, and for all time. Like that's peace. Like, this is the peace that we celebrate. This is the peace that we couldn't make. This is the peace that we couldn't understand. Again, it's not about the absence of turmoil, but it is about the, the piecing together, the putting together, the togetherness of Jesus in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is what we celebrate. This is what Jesus has made possible. This is what we get to accept. This is the by grace through faith that gets us out of this column and into this column. This is peace. I think as a, as a guy who's, yes, I've known God for a while. Just a while. 38 years, which is crazy. Now, a lot of those years I was a kid, had no idea what I was doing. I was, I was, I was an infant, and that's Okay. Like, infant believers are believers, and everyone starts as an infant, and that's great. Some people remain infants longer than others. Let's, let's move beyond that. Let's grow. Let's, let's Anyway, let's get off milk. That's the nice way to put it. We have to remember where God has brought us from in order to celebrate where He's brought us to. We have to remember that shambles, broken, in pieces, was our previous self. But through Jesus, like through justification, reconciliation, salvation, and continuing on through sanctification, eventually glorification. Those are all the big theological words. Like we're being knit back together into one thing instead of multiple. And into one thing, one family that that knows the one God through the one Savior, indwelled by the one Spirit for one glory. And that's God's, like oneness throughout this, the rest of this season as you as you read to your children or you read to yourselves or you're in the, the Advent Bible study or you're here on Sunday and we're lighting candles, we're singing songs and we're having hot chocolate, whatever it may be, Like, I would encourage you to, to think of your columns. Like, Think about where God has brought you from and celebrate where He's brought you to. Think about the fact that without my grace through faith, like, this would not be peace. This would not be where we want to be. And there's nothing that we could do to get here except Jesus. Nothing. And if you're sitting here today and you you are here, like you are here, man, hear me. Like, hear me. God loves you. God loves you more than you can understand. God loves you more than you can possibly write down, more than you can journal, more than you can do any of those things. And I'm a journaler. It's okay. But God loves you, and he wants to give you what you can't make. He wants to give you peace. And, man, I wish I could give you a beautiful acronym, but it's just simply this. Like, understanding you can't give it to yourself. You can't make that happen. And that's the reason God left where He was, came down, was born the way He was, lived the way that He did, died the way that He did, and rose victoriously the way that He did. If you just believe that that and that alone can make you right with God, and you're willing to leave your sin behind, you can leave this column. This doesn't have to be where you are anymore. And you can find peace. You don't even have to light a candle for it, but you can find it. If you would like to do that this week, I'm, I'm not going to ask you to come down front or do anything, but, but I would love for you just, man, you can email me, you can text me, the, both of which are on the, the website. Um, you can reach out to one of our elders. There's Andrew and his wife and Neil and his wife, and my wife's in the back somewhere. You can, you can find it. There's, there's a plethora of people that would love to just sit down and walk with you through that, tell you what that means. But if you hear nothing else during the season... Hear that God loves you more than you can possibly understand, and He wants you to be put together. He wants you to have peace. And for those of us who already have it, man, maybe just say thank you, God, that I don't have to live like this anymore. You've given me what I couldn't make. And as we sing songs, as we light candles, um, as as we think about what worship means this month, as we celebrate, as we speak of Jesus, Consider that we used to be ungodly sinners, enemies, strangers, targeted for wrath, alienated from him and others and cut off. And now we're justified, reconciled, family, with access to God. We have peace. We have peace. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that, that God, you can do things that we can't. Even things that we mess up, you can fix. God, I thank you that you, you love us more than we can understand. And we can see that love on perfect and beautiful display in Jesus. And during this time of year, we get to celebrate how he came, how he got here, but why you sent him. And Father, for those who are here that, that are bound to you by grace through faith, who have been uh, saved, in the words of, of you, God, I thank you for that. But God, I pray that we would remember where you brought us from and where you're bringing us to. I pray that we would worship you from that place, not because the songs are familiar, not because the the lights give us us warm fuzzies, but because of what you gave us that we couldn't couldn't give ourselves. Peace. God, I thank you for Jesus, the prince of that, the prince of completeness, of fullness, of put-togetherness. God, we love you, and it's in his name we pray, amen.